0: Aloha, Velina Meke Aloha. I'm Joshua Cooper. A welcome to Aloha Sustainability in Hawaii and Peace in our Pacific UN SDGs movement in Moana Nui Ikea. Today we're looking at accessible and affordable clean energy for all, a sustainable revolution for renewable energy, and Hawaii's demand for renewable energy future. The UN Sustainable Development Goals. Provide 17 global goals to accomplish and actualize the 2030 agenda around the world. UNSDG ensures access to affordable, reliable, sustainable, and modern energy for all. It also calls for a fossil fuel-free future. And today our guest, Henry, has been working towards this goal for many decades. Henry, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you, Joshua, it's great to be here.
0: Henry, could you share with us some simple steps that Hawaii could take to uh, actualize global goal number seven?
1: The first and most important thing to consider is that renewable, that energy can neither be created nor destroyed. That's a scientific fact. It can only change forms or move across boundaries that you, of where you're measuring it. So the idea of renewable energy does not exist in science. It only exists as a political definition and every place, every region has a different definition. In fact, Hawaii has had five radically different definitions of renewable energy in the last two decades. And many places include fossil fuels under certain conditions as renewable energy. So the fastest way of reaching 100% renewable energy is just to pass a law saying that whatever you're doing is renewable and you've already reached it.
0: Well, good news is Hawaii has focused a great deal about making sure that we were the first state to adopt the fossil fuel free treaty. And we know all counties except for Hawaii have also adopted that. So what are some steps of looking at clean and accessible, affordable energy for Hawaii's people that we could focus on today? And how are we doing so far with solar, wind, and other aspects?
1: Well, discounting first aviation, which accounts for more than half of our total emissions, um, which we tend not to look at in this state because we don't want to state how many emissions we're actually doing. So you're probably looking at what's on the ground for electricity right now. For electricity, about 40% of our energy comes from renewable energy sources and 60% from fossil fuels. We're doing a terrible job in ground uh, transportation, but um, that is expected to um, be solved through electrification of, of transportation, which will take a few decades. Um, right now, Hawaii, the Hawaiian Electric's goal is to increase the amount of renewable energy through massive amounts of solar and some wind.
0: If you were the energy commissioner for all of Hawaii, Henry, what would you look at? Could you lay out for us a five year, a 10 year, a 20 year aspiration of the way we could get to global goal number seven?
1: I think the absolutely most critical point would be to involve as many different people as possible in coming up with a plan because as we've seen, we're, we've only converted 40% of our electricity to, fo- to renewables and we're already getting uh, pushback from some communities, legitimate pushback. The idea that that Oahu, for example, downtown Honolulu needs green energy and therefore we're going to put massive solar facilities in Waianae and central Oahu and the North shore without adequately talking about it to the communities and without adequately um, involving them, that's only going to increase the pressure as we move to 50% to 70% to 100%. So it's really critical to involve communities throughout the state so that we all move forward rather than imposing a future from Honolulu.
0: No, it's a very good point. And we stand in solidarity as well with the Sami people in Norway that have taken their case to the Supreme Court of Norway regarding wind farms, that they would impact their free prior informed consent as well as their raid gear husbandry. And we know that's also been the case where it's always the large center metropolis sucking energy in from there. So I think if we look at it, would you also say that maybe Kauai is a decent model or other decentralized models that we could look at that you might say, what places could we learn from them that have done it better that we could then adopt here?
1: Kauai is a good example. Um, and and the Kauai example would work on the islands other than Oahu. Oahu having um, so many people in so many places and also needing agriculture and open space and parkland, Oahu is a tougher nut to crack. Um, but, but pointing out that on Kauai, there have been times of the day where they've reached 100% renewable energy, but they also require um, all their fossil fuel plants to burn in the evening at night. Um, so, so we need we need to both worry about energy during the solar intense day and at nighttime. Um, on Oahu, for example, it used to be that the lowest energy being pulled by fossil fuel plants was at uh, three in the morning. And it's now two in the afternoon on sunny days. Uh, we're, we're producing so much solar energy during the day and we need some way of either moving it to the night or moving demand to the day.
0: So that does signify at least a shift that it can be done. What would you say be the next steps that we should take to get to
1: 100%? The next step is how we choose where to put the solar and what, how we involve the communities where the solar is going to go. Obviously, the communities should have a right to say, no, we've had enough. Um, another way of saying that there are community benefit packages, for example, lower rates or um, supporting school efforts or funding programs in areas to offset the intrusion of large solar. Uh, We also need a lot more rooftop solar. We could look at in Hawaii Kai, for example, there are parks, there are shopping centers that don't have a lot of solar. In um, Kahala Mall, for example, is a large area that could have a lot more solar on it. There are other areas. We should be thinking about how you bring solar and how you bring renewable systems into downtown instead of just thinking about how we colonize other areas to power downtown?
0: Oh, absolutely. We, we take a real human rights-based approach. There must be, as in the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, free, prior, and informed consent. And of course, if people do have these solar and wind farm generating energy areas near them, of course, they should be able to receive the energy. Too often what we see throughout the world in Asia with the dams being built, traditional homelands being flooded. The sad part then, of course, is there's not even electricity for the people who have been displaced. So I think that's absolutely essential. And starting with solar, I think that's absolutely one area that we could concentrate on is above areas on rooftops that are quite large. And we could see that's a good example. I'm not sure if you've seen Leeward Community College where they were able yes. to work with their a department that focuses on solar energy and to coordinate together so that students actually learned how to create and were participating involved with that. But then also now even provide shade for a very, very hot area of our island and also then produces over 95%. Uh, Leeward Community College right now in the UH system actually almost has all of its energy it needs from its solar grid. Yes,
1: and and one of the things I should point out is the Public Utilities Commission has opened up a docket to look at equity, to look at how you involve communities across the state, to involve them in finding solutions that benefit everyone um, instead of benefiting just an elite. One of the most interesting things I find is that the city – of Honolulu is now halfway towards their 100,000 trees in urban areas, but they do not count how many people chop down trees. They only count that there are actually planting trees.
0: That of course is a oversight. When we look at that and we talk about all the campaigns with trees, how many trees do you think we should be looking at creating here in Honolulu? But also we look at the neighbor island, there's a lot more space and it's a great way also to reclaim land that used to be used for sugarcane where water was diverted in other ways. What islands would you say would be great for reforestation or afforestation that then would lead Hawaii into the right direction in that capacity?
1: It, I, I wanna say it will lead Hawaii in the right direction in two or three decades. The problem is that when a tree is first planted, it is actually, releases more emissions than it absorbs. Um, And therefore it has to be done carefully and it's a strategy for the future, but not a strategy, I don't think, for the next 10 years. The next 10 years, we have to get as many fossil fuel powered vehicles off the road and we have to increase the amount of renewable energy we're generating. We have to double it.
0: Nope, that's exactly the plan that we see people taking. It's great to see uh, this weekend at Puukukui Watershed on Maui. We'll be planting canoes, as we call it, for future generations. Koa trees that they've been planting now for already a decade. And I agree, it can't be done now. But as you're saying, what has to happen today, looking at that, I know looking at walking everywhere to meetings, as I've been doing, riding the bus. But what are some steps that everyday people can take? And then what do we as everyday people need to organize around to shift public policy makers to then get behind? What's the, the first, the second, the third, what are those waves that we need to ride together that we see on the horizon that get Hawaii to where it should be? Can you share some of those aspects?
1: I think the most important way is to involve people within the energy um, system and to really get everybody to begin thinking about where we should be moving because too often we have siloed energy and and sought solutions that that get us part way there. Um, the, I, I really think the PUC, the Public Utilities Commission, is the right way in the next year to really involve as many different players as possible they've opened up a docket and they've said unlike past dockets you just have to say you're interested in the issue and you can participate and they want to reach out to as many people as possible the problem is if we jump too fast into simply building the next renewable energy facility we're going to be pitting communities against each other, and we really need to all be in it together. And while that preventative measure upfront may delay the process a little bit, it will make us go much faster once we're all in it together.
0: It's true. If we look at energy, we do have to look at equality and equity. In a way, we need to democratize the energy, and if we get energy right, it seems like we could actually get so many other aspects of life by going in the right direction.
1: And and for example, if you think about aircraft, airplanes, the more room you have on an airplane, the bigger your greenhouse gas footprint is. First class is a huge footprint flying to the continent or flying to Asia. If you were to say to people, you're flying first class you have a much bigger footprint than somebody crammed in a back seat in the back of the plane. You should have a fee imposed on you for for the massive amount of emissions you're using. Um, Private airplanes use an enormous amount of emissions per person flying. I mean, private jets. So.
0: As you've raised The issue of airplanes and looking at that, I know uh, just yesterday at the Local 2030 Islands meeting, uh, Governor Green talked about, again, the importance of a green fee, looking at what Palau has done. If we were able to create a green fee with every tourist who does visit, where would you say to put that money right away to be able to have the greatest impact in our islands, but also to get towards this SDG seven of a fossil fuel free future.
1: One of the problems with a green fee for aviation is it can only be used for aviation. So it can be used to electrify the airports. It can be used to move planes electrically along the ground. But the only thing it can do is make the airport more efficient, which encourages more people to fly here. Um, It cannot be used for anything outside of the airport.
0: Well, looking at what other places have done, if we did have an influx of funds, where would you put it if you were the governor to then get us closer to SDG 7? I would put it
1: into how do we electrify transportation on the ground? How can we say that in 10 years, no new fossil fuel uh, ground vehicle would be sold. Now, if you say that under the federal law, you you can't impose something that strict, you could say that anybody who buys a new electric vehicle in 10 years has to pay $10,000 a year to the state to support renewable energy. Um, So- You didn't mean
0: an electric vehicle. I think you meant a green vehicle. I mean, a gas vehicle.
1: Right, you, you, you charge a very high fee for using a fossil fuel powered vehicle or new ones. You don't wanna penalize the economically challenged who have an old vehicle that is still on the road and they can't afford to buy a new vehicle. But if you say to someone, if you're going to buy a new fossil fuel powered vehicle, then there has to be a very stiff fee within 10 years.
0: All right, so penalizing, what incentivization can we make to then get people to get more on the bus then and to get more with electric vehicles and also to maybe we see with COVID, there's new ways that people can work from home and telecommute and some of those aspects. What is some of the mixes that you see as a
1: solution going forward? I think we have to start with pilot projects in economically challenged, and environmental justice communities. So we have to pour money into communities that are less able to participate in the transition and and recharge those communities.
0: We see that a lot actually around the world with just transition focusing and working with labor unions very closely. And that's exciting to see happening with the 2030 agenda, as well as the Paris Agreement, as well as the fossil fuel treaty, that's been gaining steam with Vanuatu and Tuvalu supporting it. If we look then at Kauai and we said that they've been able to meet 100% renewable, what could we look at doing on Maui, on Hawaii Island? What can we look at the neighbor islands, which might be an easier place to begin then, than looking in Honolulu? And then how do we then shift as we keep going forward to create this 100% renewable, Henry? I
1: think the the lowest hanging fruit in terms of cost is solar right now. Um, Some of the neighbor islands can support wind. On the big island, Kohala actually has an enormous wind resource. Um, South Point also has an enormous wind resource. So if you use solar and wind with batteries, you could get the neighbor islands to be 100% renewable by 2030. Um, It's Oahu that's going to be the problem.
0: Wonderful. And
1: so one, I mean, one of the issues being floated is having offshore wind, having floating wind um, 12 miles offshore of Oahu and, and bringing that kind of power into Oahu to save farmland.
0: Do you believe that would be a good model? Because it is true. We don't want to be taking farmland, which is something that we're not doing as well as we could, which is another global goal. Do you believe the offshore wind and does WAVE offer anything? We've seen some examples in Scotland. Could we look at that as we explore what needs to be done? Because the example you gave of pointing out the great amount of wind resource available on Hawaii Island is is an excellent example. Also, solar in certain places as well. Would WAVE be a potential that we could look at as well as the offshore wind then? as we try to work for Oahu? Because if we had most of our islands by 2030 being renewable, that would show a huge shift and see how Hawaii is moving in the right direction on SDG number seven.
1: Yes, right now, for example, Molokai's wave action off their coast could supply 200 times their energy needs. On Oahu, we have enough offshore wave action to power Oahu. The question is at what cost and how long it would take. Um, there are um, a lot of different ways of, of capturing wave energy. Uh, France has captured wave energy for many decades by simply having a dam on shore where the water flows in, tap, is captured inland and as it flows back out, it produces energy. And they've done that on massive scale. The question, though, is since Hawaii has very high electric rates right now, is how you both move towards renewable energy and find ways of lowering the cost to ratepayers. So it's sort of a double whammy, which is then tripled by having to solve the greenhouse gas issue.
0: Yes. I mean, as we look at the energy challenges that we face, there is no one way. But I think what we're looking at and what you're beginning to share with this shows that the solutions do exist, but that we have to understand it won't be simple. There will be some sacrifice, but more importantly, that sustainability is attainable. It can be accessible. And we have to always strive to make sure it's as affordable as possible for people, especially those that have bared the burden for too long. If you gave us an example of France, could you maybe take us on a tour of the world and share with us some other examples that we might at least explore that could help us here in Hawaii as we aim towards that aspiration of 2030? One thing that I
1: think has really been missing is hydroelectric. For example, Lake Wilson on Oahu has a lot of water and on heavy rain days, it actually floods down the, the, between Lake Wilson, it's like dozens of miles to the coast and then the water pours out into the reef and, and turns the water brown out there. There are ways of both capturing and utilizing the water that would protect the reef, stop the flooding of the Waialua area and provide hydroelectric power um, as a firm source of power. Oahu also has dams that are under, I believe, the Board of Water Supply control, They could also provide hydroelectric power. Um, So that's one source that has not really been examined sufficiently. Um, While people have pointed out that the Big Island has geothermal, if Hawaii Island were its own country, Hawaii Island, it would rank fifth in the world in the percent of power coming from geothermal. So it's already producing a lot from geothermal and the solution is not to produce more, Um, rather solar, wind and hydro and batteries.
0: Good, and as we look at Global Goal 7, it does center around renewable energy solutions becoming more reliable and efficient daily, along with the realization to change production and consumption of energy Those were two good examples. What's a couple other ones that you would say are aspects that we could consider here in Hawaii that are taking place around the world that show a potential path?
1: One of the big ones is how you shift demand from the evening to the day. If you could get a sizable amount of the energy that is consumed from six to 10 p.m. and shift it to the daytime use, then you would be solving a major part of the problem. The question is, as in order to get people to shift, you have to increase the differential between the daytime rate and the evening rate. And right now, um, the, the thing that's being adopted is having the evening rate be three times the daily rate. Now, for economically challenged people who have to have the evening rate, that, it, that goes against equity. So there has to be a way of both encouraging the wholesale switch to daytime energy without penalizing people who are unable to make the change, which is a difficulty, but, but, but a way of, of shifting commercial use towards the day is really important.
0: I see, and if we look at that aspect, What's some other steps that we as individuals can take on a daily basis then? What are some steps that you've taken over the time that you've been involved with these issues? How have you changed your patterns? And how would other people follow in your footsteps?
1: One thing I've done is to grow some of our own food. Uh, So we have a large garden when COVID hit we started planting a large garden. So we have papayas and tomatoes and peppers and potatoes and all sorts of things growing. Now, during dry seasons, um, we use water to irrigate, to keep things alive. Interestingly enough, on Oahu, um, if you look at your water bill, one-third of it is water delivery and two-thirds of it is disposing of the water. So since we don't have a separate meter for our local agriculture, we actually have to pay for the phantom water that we're putting down the sewer. Um, And and I'm not sure how you would address that, but encouraging more home agriculture would seem to make sense. It was the old English system that lawns are popular. Lawns showed that you had the money to irrigate your lawn. Uh, Growing trees that don't actually produce fruit was a sign of wealth hundreds of years ago. But the idea that we now focus so much of, of trees that don't produce food, of lawns that don't produce food, we need to be encouraging far more home gardens and home systems. And, and setting up economics that actually makes that profitable rather than penalizes people for it.
0: It's true, we can see, and we know that the mayor of Maui is looking at people growing gardens in their homes, looking at community associations, looking at everyone on the islands of Molokai, Lanai and Maui to be able to show what's possible. And what you're sharing now shows the intersectionality and how all of the 17 global goals are interconnected. It also shows a new energy solution signal a shift in our collective future that counters the climate crisis. And I know, and we know that affordable clean energy aims for universal access to reliable, modern energy for all in Hawaii. And SDG7 calls on increasing substantially the share of renewable energy in Hawaii and the global energy mix. We must increase our research, technology investments in clean energy, And Henry, we thank you for all the work that you've done to get us inching towards that. But we also thank you, more importantly, for being the conscience to demand our elected officials aim towards really taking the hard actions so that we can reach what we need to. Because even though, as you said, it's not going fast enough, there is no planet B. If we do not achieve the Paris Agreement, if we do not, get to 1.5 and even below to stay alive for our Pacific neighbors, we will not be able to thrive or even survive the climate crisis facing and looming on the horizon.
1: Absolutely. And, and thank you for all the work that you do. It's really critical that we all move forward. Fast. Ah, hello,
0: Henry. Thank
1: you. Thank you.